So let's turn to Mark 4, if you would, please. It's a pretty familiar section of Scripture here. A lot of times you'll hear it out of Matthew 13. But in Mark chapter 4, we'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 25. And it says, And he, Jesus, began to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables. And he said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow, and it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on the stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And others fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? Well, how then will you know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who... When they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, but have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time, or temporarily is what it should say. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested. Neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what you hear, and what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. For he that hath to him shall be given, and he that has not from him shall be taken even that which he has. And let's pray. Father, once again we just bow our hearts before you, Lord, and I humbly ask, Lord, that you'll help us all to clearly see what you're saying to us in your word tonight, the importance of having hearing hearts and prepared hearts. And I thank you that you'll do that for us tonight, Lord, this congregation here in Jesus' name. So let me ask you, know, how many of us, you're, you're trying to hear something important and other things sometimes they'll get in the way. Like this will happen to me. You're watching a major breaking news and then your little child there, you know, they're wanting to tell you about the new bag of cookies mommy bought. Kind of can be distracting or, you know, one time I was driving home, this is a few years back, I was driving home from work my work van, I'm talking to Lisa, I got my Bluetooth on, well, I got the radio on to hear the news. 
Well, the news came on, but I'm too busy talking to her, and there's a you know, major traffic jam. <laughs> I didn't hear it. I was distracted, so I end up I'm just sitting in that traffic jam stuck. And that didn't really cost me much, but sometimes it can be costly. And I'm going to tell my buddy Greg here. Greg probably, he might not even remember this. Back in our painting days, he was helping me on a job. And so we had this room to paint in several other rooms. So we had all the paint set in one place. And I showed him, I said, all right, this paint right here, this is what you're going to be using on this big room here. And the rest of this paint, it goes in other rooms. And he looked at me and he said, okay, I got it. So I went to another part of the house and I came back three hours later and he brushed in. I mean, this was with using extension ladders and quite a bit of work three hours later. He used the wrong color on all of that, right? And so I'm like, well, what happened? And he told me later, he said, he goes, well, I was thinking about a situation with my daughter. He didn't tell me which daughter. I don't remember. He might have at the time. And, uh, but basically what happened there is his heart wasn't in the work and his mind was elsewhere. So now that only cost me a half a day's wages with somebody. And he more than made it up. He always would be way faster than me. He more than made that up. It wasn't a problem at all. And that only cost me a half a day's wages. But Jesus is going to warn us, and he's warning us in this parables, that how we hear the attention that we give to his word, it may cost us a lot more than that. A lot more than that. So look in chapter 4, look in verses 2 and 33 and 34. It says here, he taught many things by parables and sent it to them in his doctrine. And then down in verses 33 and 34, it says, and with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expanded all things unto his disciples. So it sounds, if you just took that just at total face value, it sounds like that's the only way Jesus ever taught was in parables. But actually, this chapter right here, and you have it in Matthew 13, Luke 8, this is going towards the end of his second year of a three-year ministry. So he really only taught in parables for about a little bit over a year. And the context of that was, the Pharisees, we just came out of it. Once the Pharisees accused him of blasphemy and he had that confrontation, that is when the parables began. And I'm going to talk about that next week. But I want to talk tonight about what was a parable. So a parable is just not an illustration. It's more than an illustration because they are stories or word pictures that have an intention. They're stories with intent. Or, to put it another way, they're analogies by which we see truth. So an analogy is when you compare one thing with another so that you can understand what's being said, the point that's being made. So we use analogies all the time. You'll say, she was quiet like a mouse. Well, you know, a mouse is quiet, so that means she was very quiet. Or you'll say, you know, I feel like a fish out of water. And what you're saying there is, I'm not comfortable with my surroundings. Right? You're comparing how you feel your situation with something else that's really unrelated, a fish flopping around on the ground. Well, it's obviously uncomfortable. And so we use analogies like that all the time. I'm like a fish out of water. And that's what parables are. They're an analogy or a comparison. And Jesus will just take some commonplace reality. You know, sowing wheat in a field, a farmer going out and sowing his wheat, sowing his seed in a field. He's using that to give and compare to a profound spiritual truth, the importance of the condition of our hearts in hearing his word. That's what's going on there. 
So not every parable is a story, but all the parables that Jesus uses are word pictures that open our understanding to some profound spiritual lesson that he's trying to teach us. And so the immediate aim, why does he use parables? The immediate aim of parables, and there are some in the Old Testament, is they're designed to be compelling and interesting in order to disarm the listeners. And think about this. Here's a parable we all know. Nathan comes to David. And what does he do? He doesn't just get right up in his face, does he? When the Lord sends him, what does he do? He tells him a little story. He tells him a parable about a rich man who took the only lamb of a poor man to feed his friend when the rich man had all kinds of lambs. And so David, he's hearing that story just like you would be first time you ever read it. Right? He's drawn into that story. And it disarms him. He passes judgment on that guy, right? So that's the immediate aim, isn't it? But the ultimate aim of a parable, including when Nathan confronted David, is you want to give somebody insight, spiritual insight. You want to awaken their conscience, and you want to move them to action. And that is what happened to David. Because through that parable, when he says, you are the man, his eyes are immediately opened in a way they couldn't have been any other way. I mean, it was dramatic. And his conscience is fully awakened at this point, totally convicting him, and it moved him to action, didn't it? I mean, he hadn't repented up to that point. And through that parable, he's confronted with this sin, and he's like, God, I repent. You got Psalm 51 written as a result of that. And so that's what that parable was designed to do. And Jesus was the master in using parables. So when speaking to us in parables, he's trying to do something every time. You think about the different parables. He's trying to get us to stop and to reconsider our ways and then change our behavior. We talked about Matthew 18 on Sunday, and that is a prime example. Because you hear that story like David, you get drawn into the story, don't you? You hear about, man, here's this guy forgiven this huge debt and goes out and chokes his fellow servant that owed hardly anything. I mean, you get drawn into that story. But then just like Nathan did to David, Jesus turns the knife right in the end. He's saying, here's what I'm really talking about. I'm talking about you, isn't he? Because he's like he would say, well, you would agree that that wicked slave deserves no mercy because all of it, that's where we're at with that. Man, that guy doesn't deserve any mercy. And he says, no, I'm talking to you. To all of you. He says, so likewise, just like that, shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. And so what should that do? That should make all of us, when we hear those parables or read them, it should make us stop and reconsider our ways and make any changes we need to make. That's what they're designed to do, those parables. So this parable we have here in chapter 4 of the sower, it's the first substantial parable in all three of the Gospels. It's the longest one. And besides Matthew's parable of the wheat and tares, it's the only one that actually explains the parable. There's only one other parable that is actually explained that way. And it's not like this parable here, it's not like the other parables that are told because most of them are very brief and simple. There's no plot to this. So you have Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. There's a whole plot that's involved there. And there's only four images that are put together here. He puts four images together. So it's different than all of the other parables that he told. But here's the thing. 
People through church history have taken parables and they've gotten, made allegories out of them. And Augustine did this. I've talked about this before. He took the parable of the Good Samaritan and he makes every single thing in that parable represent something that that's not the point of the parable. And, and Jesus is not trying to do that in telling him. Now, in this parable here, there are some things that are symbolic, but he explains what the symbolism is. But what you'll find in all parables is the parables are not trying to make 13 different points. They're generally trying to come and make one point or two at the most. And so the point here is that how we hear, the condition of our hearts are going to determine the amount of fruit we bear, if any. Or as another person said, a person's response to the word of God, it's dependent on the condition of that person's heart. And fruit is the only evidence we have that anything right took place is if that fruit was produced. And that's what he's talking about here. So in looking at this parable in chapter 4, the farmer is not described, is he? It doesn't tell us whether he's eloquent, fat, skinny, whether he's Polish, whether he's American, whether he's an American Pole, <laughs> rich or poor, because he's not the point in that. The sower is not the point. And the seed is described as the word here. talks about that it's the word Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. In Matthew 13, it's called the word of the kingdom. In Luke 8, it's called the word of God. But the thing is, the word is the same that hits all four types of soil. The same word is spread everywhere. So the sower and the seed are constants. They're unchanging variables in the parable. So Jesus and the gospel that he preached are like seed that is being cast out on all the hearts of all who heard him. So when he came on the scene in Mark 1.15 saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent ye and believe the gospel, the same word and the same anointed word is going out to everybody, isn't it? No difference. The sower is the same and the word is the same. And the one variable is what? The soil and the condition of the soil and the continued stress throughout this section here verses 1 through 25 is on how the word is heard the stress is on hearing and the greek word to hear akuo it's used 11 times in this section so it begins that way look in verse 3 that first word there hearken and that is an imperative. That means listen up. It's a command. When you say something's an imperative in the Greek, it's a command. It's not an option. And so he starts off saying there, listen up. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And you get the same imperative down in verse 9. After he tells the initial parable of the sower, in verse 9 he says, He that has ears to hear, where it says let him hear, that is one word. It's the same imperative. Let him hear. He that has ear to hear, you hear is what he's saying. Listen up. It's a command. And you have the same thing over in verse 23. It's just a repetition again of verse 9. If any man have ears to hear, he's saying, then you or I, we need to listen up. So what does he mean by saying that? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Because probably just about all of them could hear, right? So it's obviously much more than saying you just need to hear this story about a sower that's going out into a field sowing his seed. He's saying to them and all of us here that when the word goes forth, 
we had better be paying attention. And I'm telling you, we're not doing too good at that. All of us aren't. We weren't doing too good at that for a lot of the last few years, I believe, of Brother Hamilton's ministry. That's why I say go back and listen to some of those tapes. Listen to that tape on the problem with the faith message. Were we hearing what he was saying then? I don't know. I really don't know. We're getting to where we're getting dull of hearing, and it's dangerous to be that way, I believe. So when he's saying he that has ears to hear the word, it doesn't really matter. Listen, you don't like to preach it. You've got to listen to what's being said. So I'm not saying you're going to sit and listen to an unanointed word, but you've got to listen to what God is saying, whether it's through me, whoever else stands here. If a brother or sister sitting out here has a word from the Lord, that's when we need to be really paying attention. It could be anybody in here or somebody just comes up and shares a word with you. That's time to pay attention. He that has ears to hear. And he's saying by that, too. Not only to pay attention, but we need to listen with a believing heart. And truly, here's what we need to hear. We have to truly seek to understand what is said. We're an agricultural area here in Shelby County. Almost everybody drives around here. We've seen people out sowing their fields. We know about fields and harvest and all that, right? And so that's what this was, an agricultural society. So all of them would have heard the story and understood it at that level. You know, the story about sow and see. And he's saying you've got to get beyond just a surface understanding. That's what we've got to do with the word. That's more than just even just sitting here here and preaching tonight. You've got to go beyond that. This reminds me of Proverbs chapter 2. And if you would turn to Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 5. Solomon writes there, my son... If you will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. He's talking about receive them, make them your own, hide them with you. That's more than just barely hearing. He said, so that you will incline your ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. And look what he says. Yea, if you cry after knowledge and lift up thy voice for understanding. Have we done that? With things we're not sure about or things we want to know or we're struggling with whatever the teaching is or knowing God's power, God's healing, however that works. Are we crying for knowledge if we think there's things we don't understand or a closer walk with him or anything? Take your pick. Cry after knowledge. Lift up thy voice for understanding. He says, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hid treasures. He says, then you'll have understanding. You'll understand the fear of the Lord. And look what you'll find. You'll find the knowledge of God. And it all starts off with, if you'll receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. That involves some real listening. So back to Mark 4. And so what we have here in this parable is that the soils represent different hearts in the way they receive the word and their responses to that. And so the first one we have here are the hard ground. Now, fields back then, they didn't have fences like fields do today, and so they would have footpaths that would tend to section off a field or whatever, and that's what you walked on, and they were hard. And some of that seed fell there, Jesus says, and it's verse 4, and it came to pass as he sowed, the sower, that some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And then you'll see over in verse 15, he gives the interpretation of that. And these are they by the wayside, the paths, where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. 
He's saying that seed that's sown that way on those hard paths, and they can be as hard as concrete, get as hard as concrete, that that seed just doesn't penetrate. It just lays on top unprotected. And he's saying the birds come and devour it. I'm saying I've seen all this lived out of my own house here in the last few weeks. I just had my yard reseeded, and some of the seed went down. I had a lot of it sitting on top. And I look out in my backyard, and there's probably 30 birds out there every day for a while eating that seed that didn't penetrate. So I'm feeding them for free. Every morning they're out there. So what is he talking about here on this hard path, this hard soil? It represents those that just aren't interested. Anybody that preaches long enough, you're going to find out you got a lot of people that are just not interested. Don't see the relevance of what you're saying to their lives or whatever. Just not interested in this God talk or whatever. It, it just varies. There's all kinds of reasons people aren't interested, right? But yeah, just not interested. Or I'll tell you, a big cause for not being interested and not having a prepared heart and having a hard heart is you're living in sin. And that'll steal your interest in the word quicker than anything else will. It will harden your heart to the gospel. It will. When you know you're not living how you should, it affects the way you receive the word. It does. So people with hard hearts, they refuse to listen to God and they insist on going their own way. In Jeremiah 19.15, Jeremiah says this. Listen to this. They have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. What an indictment. But that was Israel right before they were judged. They didn't want to hear anything Jeremiah had to say. Oh, they wanted to hear the guys that were going to preach peace and prosperity. They wanted a happy message. And Jeremiah says they stiffened their necks that they might not hear my words. And so the word is preached. God's trying to get somebody's attention, but you refuse to seriously consider it. And you stiffen your neck. And it says when you do that, the word never penetrates. And that is a dangerous position to be in. Proverbs 29.1 says this, that he, being often reproved and hardens his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. So nobody wants to think that a person, a city, or a nation could be destroyed because they refused or resisted hearing the word of God. But it is a clear warning, and it has happened to both people, cities, and nations that have rejected the word. And it's getting ready to happen here. I just don't know when. But if we're going to say our country has not rejected the word, this is the most gospel-saturated country ever. And look at the way our society as a whole is. Ripe for judgment. Now, Paris Reed had told this story one time, a true story, that there was this young man, his mom was praying for him, and she's constantly saying, would you come and listen to the word preach. He's like, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. I don't want anything to do with religion. He was a partier. He liked to party. And his heart was hardened towards the word. And she would preach at him and pray for him and love him or whatever all else. But she would give him money, and he knew it. So he went to where the church service was, and he's sitting out in his car. He's waiting for this church service to be over so he can get some money from his mom and go on out on the town that night. It just so happened it was a hot summer evening. They got the windows down in the church. They didn't have air conditioning back then. And this preacher, somehow, God put it on his heart, and he started preaching that verse, Proverbs 29.1. Loudly, he that being often reproved and hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed in that without remedy. And he kept saying it. He said it again. He that being often reproved 
hardens his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. He did that like three or four times. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit took that and convicted this guy. He broke down crying. And God brought him because he realized that was him. And it put a fear in his heart. I thought, man, that's a great testimony. And that's what happened. That hard ground, we don't want to be hard ground here. Disinterested, thinking it's for somebody else. Thinking it's not relevant for our lives. Whatever it is. And the second ground we have here is found in verse 5 and verse 16. It said, and some fell on the stony ground. So here we have stony ground here where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. And over in verse 16 it says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. But they have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. And afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are afflicted. Offended. And I've got that in my yard. I've got places where there's rocks in my yard and they sow seed and that seed springs up and it looks great until the summer heat comes and then it withers and I got dirt. <laughs> and it's exactly what he says there. That's the way it works. And here's these people. No roots, it says. Shallow. But the thing is, their reaction is the polar opposite of the hard-hearted hearers. A hard-hearted eaters, they act disinterested, they're bored, they're yawning, they're falling asleep, they could care less, they walk away. Not these people, not the shallow ground person, they seem receptive. They get the word, they hear that word, man, they are happy. It says they receive it with joy. But what do we have here? It's shallow though, isn't it? We know that. It's all emotion. They're just making a surface level commitment and there's no counting the cost. No counting the cost with these people, right? So it's a young person. I've seen this too many times through 30 years of being a Christian. They're confused or they feel guilty about sin and they need help and Jesus can give them that help. And sometimes they'll go to a camp meeting, they get prodded into it, pressured into it, however that works, and they make a commitment and it doesn't last. How many times have we seen that through the years? It happens all the time. Or you'll have alcoholics, drug addicts, prisoners, desperate people. They want deliverance from bad choices and the consequences. And they're looking at their life. I've seen this a lot too. My marriage is gone. My job is gone. My health is gone. So I think I'll try Jesus. They say he can help me. I'll give him a try, right? And they're so excited for a while. Man, and no longer I don't have a guilty conscience. And heaven's waiting for me. Man, I mean, how many movie stars do you see on TV? I used to see him getting interviewed, you know. Mickey Rooney, you know, born again. He's all excited. That's all he wants to talk about. He's on Merv Griffin. This is years back. Merv Griffin just wants to get him off there after a while. He's like, man, you want you to talk about anything else? That's all Mickey Rooney wanted to talk about at the time. Just got saved. How long did that last? Or Glenn Campbell. Or all these stars that get saved, you know. Oh, man, I'm not guilty anymore about this lifestyle I've had. And I'm just, but the commitment is shallow. And it doesn't last. Come to Jesus, why? Because they want to feel good about themselves, right? Not because they've seen themselves as wicked sinners deserving hell, convicted about their dark hearts and rebellion to God. 
They're not coming to him because God, the Holy Spirit, has dealt with them and convicted them about that and then opened their eyes up to see, here's the remedy on the cross. Your eyes have to be open to that, a revelation that he took my punishment, paid a price. Oh, I love him so, and I'm willing to commit myself to him. How can you do that with your eyes wide open and make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and then just turn and walk away like nothing ever happened? People like that have just never had a personal, we talked about this, face-to-face -face encounter with the risen Lord. Never personally given themselves to Him. They had somebody else lead Him in a prayer. Oh, you need to make that commitment yourself, whether someone leads you in a prayer or not. It's got to be a conscious decision to a person. That's what salvation is. And when you do that, and you see what he's done, and you realize what you deserve, how can you easily walk away from that? You can't. But if you're just wanting to get out of a situation or feel good or get a guilty conscience or have a ticket to heaven, you walk away from that when the trouble gets tough because that's what the Lord says here. Just a surface relationship, right? And that's what we have in a lot of marriages today. And the first time any personal sacrifice is required in that type of relationship, the person is gone, whether it's the Lord or a marriage partner, because the commitment just has never been there, that personal commitment. And that's what we have here in verse 17. They have no root in themselves, and so they endure but for a time. And what does he say? Afterward, when affliction, trouble or persecution, a little sacrifice arises for what sake? The word's sake. Immediately they are scandalized, offended. That's what that word is. They're offended that this is happening to me. And that's why when you share the gospel with somebody, it isn't all Jesus will give you love, joy, peace, and health. I mean, yeah, he'll do that, but you got to let them know, hey, you got to count the cost. You got to turn from your sin. You're promised suffering in this world. Give them the full gospel. <laughs> and that is the gospel. Just a temporary faith. They had trouble at home, trouble at school, trouble at work, maybe trouble with their girlfriend. And as soon as that hell happens, they're backslidden. That's what happens. You know, Greg and I, we had a good friend. There was me, him, and, a, and another guy, another John that we knew. And he heard we got saved. Everybody, word got out about us, we got saved. And I called him up one time. He goes, man, I heard about you guys. He said, you know, I've been really thinking about wanting to get right with God. I've thought about that all the time and shared the gospel with him. And he's all excited. And here's what happens, though. We're saying he's all excited. But as soon as persecution or affliction comes by and by, they are offended. Tells his mom about our church. Him and his mom sit and listen to faith tapes. It wasn't this church. This was up in Columbus. And she listens to him. She says, honey, that's a cult because they were Catholics. We were all Catholics. Now, that's a cult. You don't want to go there. And then he's got a girlfriend that he really liked. And she tells him, hey, you keep going to that church. And with me and you, it's all over. And guess what? It was all over. Him and his Christianity, because he ends up marrying that girl, but not in a good place spiritually. Gave it all up for that. But at first, with joy, but there was no deep commitment. Hadn't really seen himself for who he is. Hadn't really seen what the Lord Jesus Christ had done for him. Hadn't really committed himself that this is truth. This is how we know our Lord. This is how we know how to live, how to act. The Bible is what tells us so, right? 
think we have people that come because your friends do, your family does, or you like the atmosphere. But when trouble comes, and we don't have that much trouble here yet, but when trouble comes, this is where we all need to examine ourselves. How deep is our commitment? When trouble comes, when persecution comes, which it will, where are we going to be at? Are we going to bail? Are we just the good time Christians when things are going good? Is that our commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do trials, let me ask you, do trials and persecution change the meaning of the word for you? Because all of a sudden, trial and persecution comes. Well, I'm not so sure that that's what it means now. I thought I did. But how can all these other Christians be wrong? And questions come in your mind because there's no root. You haven't cried out. You haven't studied things for yourself. And that's how you get rooted and grounded in what the scripture says. So Demas, he's a prime case of that. He joins Paul, sees all these miracles and the anointing and the preaching and the crowds coming and people being saved and baptized and spirit filled speaking in tongues. He's all in for that. Man, this is great. He joins up with Paul, but they go out there and all of a sudden, man, Paul's getting beat up really bad. And he's languishing in this prison, getting ready to take his head off. And they're talking about getting other people with him. And Paul has to write this, Demas has forsaken me. Because it wasn't all the joy and fun that he thought it would be. And that's what we have to ask ourselves. He had forsaken me having loved this present world. Because Demas is like, man, that miracles and that anointing and the crowds and all, man, they gave us money. They didn't even ask for it. They're blessing us. That was great. But I didn't sign up for this chain and prison stuff, sitting here, chains and prison. That's not what I signed up for. I'll see you later, Paul. It's safer back home with mom and dad. That's where he went. Right? That's the second group. And here's the third group here in verses 7 and then over in verse 18. In verse 7, the thorny ground and some fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And over in verse 18, it says, And these are they which are sown among thorns. They are such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in. They choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So the problem here is this ground is not shallow. And so that seed was planted deep enough. The person who heard the gospel, they heard it and they decided, I have decided to follow Jesus. But guess what happened to them? Well, this person, something happened over time. Over time. Verse 19, it says right there, in the lust of other things entering in, choked the word. And what does it say in the end of that? It says, it became, it became unfruitful. That person there changed slowly, so they allowed the world to creep in, right? Allowed the world to creep in, and it says, the first thing it says about that group is that the cares of this world, verse 19, and the cares of this world did them in, the worries of life. So they allowed the world to creep in and cause them to worry, and they're worried about, do I have enough? I'm worried about how I look. <laughs> worried about the election, worried about the kids, worried about everything. They're worrying about things. And it's affecting how the word grows in their life, despite the fact that Jesus told us in Matthew 6 not to worry about anything. Didn't he tell us that? He says, take 
no thought. He says, take no thought. He says, look, the birds, they eat every day. They eat my grass seed. Every day they're eating, right? And the flowers are dressed better than Solomon. He says, look at them. None of them, like I heard one guy say one time, none of them are falling off the, you know, they all line up on those uh, electrical lines. None of them are falling off there having a heart attack because of the anxiety and worry. No, they're just, just waiting and God provides for them. And Jesus says, just look at them. They don't worry. I take care of them. He says, just relax. I've got you covered, right? Isn't that what the Lord tells us? We don't need to worry. We just need to relax. I've got you covered, right? And he says this, fear not, little flock. This is in Luke. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, we're his sheep. For it is your father, he's our heavenly father, we're his child. Good pleasure, the king will give you what you need in the kingdom. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. His pleasure to do it. We don't have to worry about that, do we then? God providing our needs. And it says in Philippians 4, to be anxious or worry for nothing, but in everything, it says, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I got something I kind of wanted to throw out there, a challenge to the church, right? Let's just all commit ourselves for the next couple of days when tempted to worry that we're going to pray and leave whatever it is in the Lord's hands. And maybe we'll have some testimonies Sunday. Let's just commit ourselves to doing it. Can we do it for the rest of this week? Really, we should do it for the rest of our lives, but we'll make it short the rest of this week. We make it through this week. We'll take it the next week, right? Praise God. All right, so he talks there about Verse 19, the cares of this world. And the next thing it talks about is the deceitfulness of riches. The seduction that comes from wealth is what that is talking about there. Divided loyalty. Because Jesus said this, he said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So loving money and your pursuit is after wealth, and having as much as you can to the neglect of spiritual things, it says it will do what to the word in your life? It will choke it. Choke it out is what it'll do. That's what he's talking about there. And then he adds there the lust of other things in the middle of verse 19 there. And lust means desires. And it may be the lust of other things. It could be things that are sinful, pornography, drinking, gambling, whatever. Or it could also be things that are lawful in moderation, right? Doesn't necessarily have to be something sinful that you're lusting after. It could be fishing, vacations, gardening, just playing checkers at the Cracker Barrel. Video games, social media, that's a big one there, right? But it's anything that monopolizes your time. So none of those things in and of themselves are sinful. I'll tell you what I did. This was few years back, I'm glad I can say that, but when I was doing schoolwork, I mean, it was just a lot of mental whatever, and so I would take a break every now and then, and I'd play solitaire on my thing, just play a game of solitaire and go back to work, sometimes I'd play too, well, you know, after a while, I thought, you know, I wonder how much time I'm actually taking in a day playing solitaire, because it didn't seem like I hardly ever did it, 
But I was able to go back the way they had all those games saved. I could see exactly how many. I'm thinking, that's too much. I'm quitting it all together. My point is I'm making is you cannot think you're on that stuff that much. I'm saying you're probably on it 10 times, if not 100 times more than you realize. And you could be doing things that were more profitable with your time. All of us. Amen. Oh, there's something to think about here. The lust of other things. You know, Martha and Mary, Martha was what? She was consumed with having a clean house and cooking food, serving food. But the one thing that was needful for her was under her nose the whole time. It was right there. And she's so worried about pleasing God by what she did. And the thing that would have pleased God is if she would have been sitting with her sister Mary hearing that word. Isn't that what that's all about? William Randolph Hearst, filthy rich man. Filthy rich. But he was an art collector too. And he spent a great deal of time and money collecting art treasures. He finds out about this one work of art that he's like, I have got to have it. So he sends this guy that works for him, this agent, he says, you go out and you find that. And that guy searched for months to try to find that work of art. And the agent finally came back and he said, I found it. And Hearst asked him where. He says, well, I found it close to home. He's like, really? Where? He says, well, I found it in your warehouse alongside many other treasures that are still in crates. He's searching for a treasure that was right under his nose. Something he already owned. And so money and desire will blind you to this truth. We have right in our laps the greatest treasure of all, don't we? We can't neglect it. And too much we do because it is of infinite value. And we read that in Proverbs too. It says we need to be seeking understanding and to understand that word, like Jesus said, more than on a surface level. We need to have ears that want to hear and understand and search for it as silver. And that guy that went down to Florida searching for those sunken treasures, he actually, he wanted it so bad his life was consumed with it. He lost one of his sons in the process. Going after the wrong thing. Jesus says, don't labor for the food or the wealth that perishes, but labor for this, which is to eternal life. But he says, like that guy was so set on getting those treasures, which he finally found, big deal. He ain't around to spend it anymore. He said, just like though he's on that hunt and dedicated his whole life, we should be dedicating our lives to understanding this word. I mean, our whole church would be different. All of our lives would be different if we did that, if we took that approach to things. So listen, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ has got to be our top priority. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when he says seek ye first, that first means only. Seek ye only the kingdom of God. In Matthew 6, Jesus is saying this. What's he saying there? He's saying, you take care of my things. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You take care of my things, Jesus says, and I'll take care of your things. That's the promise he makes us there, right? And we reverse that, as a man says, we reverse that to our peril. We say no. We say no, Jesus, you take care of me and what I think is important, and then I'll seek you. We do that too many times. Reverse it to our peril. But here's what I want to say. This whole thing, this process here, that seed was deep enough. 
should have been coming up, but something was slowly choking it out, wasn't it? It happened slowly. And that's the way it happens. Without us being aware of it, we're influenced by the world and we don't even realize it. You know when you realize it? When you get in a trial. And then you realize, whoops, I should have been listening to this parable and what he's saying here. Take heed how you hear, how carefully you hear. Because it doesn't happen in a decisive moment. It's a slow choking at the roots. And you wake up one day and you ask yourself, how did I get like this? And it's because of the influence of our culture. And it comes through the news, through movies, through music, through social media. And they are all full of ideas that affect us that are contrary to the word that we've been taught. And they slowly mold you. They do. And then you stop praying. You start realizing, I don't pray like I should. I don't read the Bible like I should. I'm not fighting sin in my life. I'm having trouble exercising faith in God. I'm saying all of us, we need to examine ourselves. Whose altar are we on? Whose altar are we on? Isn't that what it says in Romans 12:1? Present ourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? wholly dedicated to the Lord so that by his word he can conform our thinking to his thinking and that's what we want to do that's what we need to do if we're going to make it in the end that's what this parable is saying and so the last ground we have here is the good ground in verse 8 it says and other fell on good ground and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 some 60 and some 100 fold and then look over in verse 20 and it says, in this good ground, these are they which are sown on good ground. And they're the ones, they hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And so we see here, every one of these soils, what has happened? Has every one of them has heard the word, haven't they? Every one of them has. Everyone has heard the word. But this soil, it doesn't say that it just heard the word but what happened? It says it receives the word. Look at verse 20. Such as hear the word and receive it or accept it. And that is a whole lot more than just saying, well, I agree with it. I like hearing it or I know it's true. Because that word receive means you bring it in like what we read in Proverbs 2 and you make it your own. You understand it. You know, like I've told you this before. When I took my Hebrew class, the way our teacher worked thing is, he would teach us it, and he'd say, you all go home and study that night. And the next day when we came back, he'd say, all right, I want you to teach this person next to you, explain everything. Because he says, if you understand something, then you can teach it to someone else. And that's how well we need to understand the truths that we're to be walking in. Whether it's healing, holiness, the fruit of this, we should be able to explain that to someone. How does sanctification work? Justification, faith, trust in God, walking in holiness. If you know it, you'll be able to explain it. You'll understand it that way. And that's the way these people are. They received it. You know, Matthew 13, in his parable of the sower, he doesn't talk about receives it. He says understands. That's the word he uses. They hear that word, and it says they understand it. Back to Proverbs 2. Sometimes you have to cry out for that understanding. It's not just a matter of hearing it and saying, yeah, I believe it's true. That is not what we're talking about. There's a difference. 
Yeah, you should hear it, and you should recognize it's true. But it's different. It's deeper than that. That's what the Lord's telling us here. And so a person like that, that hears the word, receives it, and understands it, they realize something. They realize when Jesus spoke, he had the crowds follow him. He gives them the bread. And they're coming around the next day in John 6. They're looking for him. Man, where are you? And he says, oh, no, you all aren't seeking me because of who I am. You're just seeking me to get your bellies filled again. He says, don't labor for that kind of bread. That's not the kind of bread I'm about. And he tells them later, they all walk away from him when he talks about his sacrifice and eating his bread, drinking, ah, we don't want anything to do with that. We're not into a deeper understanding. We just want to get satisfied. That's all we're after from you, Jesus. And so he says, wait a minute, you, know, you all, you don't understand. They walk away. He says, it's my words. My words are spirit and they're life. And when it's just down to the 12, he says, well, are you guys going to go away too? And Peter looks at him and he's got the right answer because he saw Jesus as more than just a miracle worker and somebody to fill you up with bread. He says, no, Lord, where else are we going to go? Because you have the words of eternal life. And that's what these people that are the good soil realize, that this is just not the Bible. This isn't just something we do every Wednesday and Sunday. These are the words of life that come forth. They mean our life. So hearing's not enough. It's not enough. We must make it our own, and we have to bow down in humility to the word when we hear it. Luke says this, they with an honest and a good heart receive the word. And that word for honest, it means useful and beautiful. They've got a useful, beautiful heart in God's eyes. I think that's pretty neat. An honest heart, a useful, beautiful heart, and a good heart. That means morally good. Someone's hearing that word, they're wanting to do what is right. Show me, Lord. You go through Psalm 119, and that's constantly what David's saying. Just give me your word so I can live it and do what's right. Forgive me when I've missed it. But my heart is, I want to do what's right. It'll give me greater understanding than the wisest, oldest men of this world. That's what David said. And you know what that is? What is that? What kind of heart is that? It's a regenerate heart. Only God can make our heart like that. James says it like this. In James 1, verse 21, he says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. He's saying, get rid of the sin in your life, and in meekness, God, you, I'll do whatever you say. Whatever it is you want me to help me to understand it, I will do it. That's what he's saying. Listen, I'll say it again. This is the NAU Translation, therefore, putting aside all filthiness, lay it aside, and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted. Isn't that what we're reading, talking about, the, the sower and the seed? Receive the word implanted. And that word that's implanted and received that way, he says, is able to save your souls. Wow, that's the ultimate right there. That's what we're after. And I think the best example of that, receiving that word in humility, is Mary in Luke 1, 36. It says, Behold, the angel came and appeared to her and says, Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be 
impossible. And Mary said, here's the humility, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. That's the perfect example of that, isn't it? Man, this is a hard thing to believe, but I'm your handmaid. Let it be according as you said. Didn't argue. She was a righteous woman and meekly received that word that was given. She was good soil. Something that we can emulate. And if you would please turn over to Romans 6. I want us to see here the same principle. Paul gives us in Romans 6. Verse 17. And Paul says this, Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were the servant of sin, but you have obeyed from where? The heart, that form of teaching. Obeyed from the heart, you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of teaching, doctrine, which was given you, delivered to you. And he says, being then made free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. He goes, for as you yielded your members, servants, to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, he says, even so now, you, this is what you did live, how you did live, but now, he says, yield your members, servants, to righteousness unto holiness. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. And what fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have fruit unto holiness, and the end of it will be what? Everlasting life. And it all goes back to verse 17. But God be thanked. You were a slave of sin, but now you've had that word. You received that teaching. And because of that that was delivered to you, now you are a slave of righteousness is what he's saying there. And he said, your fruit, and this is all about bearing fruit, isn't it? Jesus says the good heart receives that word and it will bear fruit. That's what he's talking about here in Romans. Because he says in verse 21, the fruit you had before you were saved, at least I can look at my fruit before I was saved, I'm ashamed of it. Shouldn't even be talking about it anymore. It's terrible. That's what he says in verse 21, Romans 6. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? And the end of that fruit we had then with no word in us was what? Death. But he says, now, having received the word, being made free from sin and become slaves to God, we have fruit. What kind of fruit? Fruit unto holiness. And that fruit of holiness will give you what? Everlasting life. Praise God. That's what it's all about. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they are the ones that will see God. And so what we're hearing here, I hope tonight, if you're still with me, we have a grave responsibility to have a prepared heart. It's our duty, as James said, to receive with meekness the implanted word. Let's listen to this. Second Chronicles 12, Rehoboam, Solomon's son. It says this. It says he did evil. Because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And he was judged as a result. He did evil because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. So whether it's hearing the word preached, reading your Bible, having a brother or sister share a scripture, we need to have our hearts willing to hear. Deuteronomy 4.9, the Lord told Israel this through Moses. He says, only take heed to thyself. And keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thy eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart 
all the days of thy life. You've got to keep your heart and soul diligently to remember what you've seen. And I'm saying I've known a lot of saints through the years who have walked with the Lord, seen miracles, trusted God in hard times, and live holy lives, doing what we talked about there with the, the soil and the thorny grounds, only to let the world creep in. And they forgot. They did. Forgot everything that they have been taught. Has anyone ever talked to someone like that? I have. More than once. Talk to somebody and they will say and do things that shock me. Because I'm thinking, you don't even realize, you're not even embarrassed to say what you're saying. And I know what you've been taught and how you used to live. And it's like you don't remember a thing. And I'm saying, that's scary. It really is. Because Jesus said, whosoever has to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever has not from him shall be taken away even that he has. And that is a sobering word. As we quoted Revelations, Jesus said this to the church. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. That's what we need to do. How do you repent? Two scriptures I'm going to leave you with here. Jeremiah 4.3. How do you repent? For thus saith the Lord, break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Listen to that verse in the NET translation. It helps it make a lot more sense. The Lord has this to say to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Like a farmer breaking up hard, unplowed ground, you must break your rebellious will and make a new beginning. Just as a farmer must clear away thorns lest the seed is wasted, you must get rid of the sin that is ruining your lives. And that is for all of us, to one degree or another. We all need to do that. We do. Word we can all take heed to. And so let me leave you with this verse right here. Hosea 10, 12. Hosea says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, and break up your fallow ground. Why does he say that? If it isn't time now, it's never been time. He goes on to say, For it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Amen? It's a time for us to seek the Lord and break up our fallow ground and have a new beginning with God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father, I just ask that you'll speak to all of our hearts tonight, Lord, and cause all of us to realize the importance of your word and that we will give heed to your word, the truth that we've been taught through the years, the truth that will be continually taught. Just ask, Lord, you'll open our understanding and give us all a desire to go deeper with you and have a deeper understanding to cry out, to have an understanding and a hunger and thirst for your word that we can walk with you, Lord, and seek your face in these end times, that we will not be those shallow ground hearers, Lord, that when trouble comes, when persecution comes, because we have no root, we fall away. I just ask, Lord, that you'll cause all of us to be rooted deeply in your word and in a commitment to you. I just ask you to do that for all of us here in our church in Shelbyville. And I thank you that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.